welcome to Quilting Business Success, the podcast where we interview quilters just like you who have turned their passion for quilting into a profitable long-arm quilting business. I'm your host, Andrew Weaver, and in each episode, we'll bring you stories of quilters who had the same doubts and fears that every quilter has when they think about pursuing their quilting dreams. But these quilters moved forward anyway, despite their fears, and today, you'll hear their stories. So we're going to start tonight uh, with Beth, and uh, Lisa will uh, hang out, uh, but I want to mention that uh, at, while we're doing Beth's interview, Lisa, if you have uh, a little bit of commentary to add, you're more than welcome to. Uh, it's sometimes, sometimes you'll uh, uh, have some something to add that's useful, and so please feel free to do that, and then... Uh, after about a half an hour, we'll switch over and we'll start grilling Lisa about her experience. And just to let you know, the panelists that we have today are Beth Goderidge and Lisa Teichman. I, pronun I pronounced that right, didn't I? You did. Yep. And so let's jump right into the questions. Uh, so, uh, Beth, what part of the country are you in? Where's home for you? I'm in Idaho. I just recently moved to Rexburg, Idaho. I had been in the Boise area for almost 30 years before that. Been here since summer. Oh. Fantastic. Is is that rural, would you say? Yeah, it is. It's a college town and pretty rural. Okay. And how long, Beth, how long have you been uh, long arming? I got my machine in 2007, so about 16 years, just over 16 years. I can't believe 2007 was 16 years ago. It wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't. It's an, it's an illusion. <laughs> and when you got your machine, uh, what made you decide to start long arming? Um, I had a stack of quilts I wanted to get quilted, and I kind of like to finish my own projects. So I wanted to do my own. I tried doing them on my domestic machine, and it was just too hard, and I did not enjoy it. I had a friend who had a long arm quilt machine and the last quilt I did on my domestic machine, the whole time I just kept thinking this would be so much easier on her machine. So we just decided to go ahead and get one. Uh -huh. I also wanted to do, to quilt for other people and, and make a little bit of money too. Right. So from the very beginning, that thought was in your mind that I can kind of justify the cost of the machine not just on my own quilts. Right. Yeah. And when did you actually get a gamel? In 2007. I oh. started out with the Optimum. Yeah, the Optimum Plus. And do you still have that machine today? I do. Yeah, I still love it. Still working great. <laughs> 17 years later, how many things still work after 17 years? <laughs> That's right. And I've had very little, I mean, I replaced the, the switches on it and it came out the new soft touch ones. And that's about it. I'm, I bent a needle bar one time and had to fix that. <laughs> that happens when I had a ruler. <laughs> that's always fun. And yeah, you'll have, uh, that, you know, with these machines, they will generally last a lifetime, but you know, you're going to have uh, components that uh, will occasionally need repair or uh, replacement, but, but they are, they are, they have a lot of life in them. Yeah. So when you were, when you were picking out and ordering your machine, uh, obviously there's a lot of different machines that are available even back in, uh, back in that uh, ancient days. <laughs> um but did your did your friend is was her machine a gamel or what led you to the gamel machine she had a different one and there were things that she didn't love about hers and i think i chose the gamel just based on quality i actually had never used a gamel i had seen some but i'd never used one and i just called up the dealer and and ordered it what could go wrong right <laughs> <laughs> a lot apparently yeah it's been great it's been a good good decision so when when you first got your your uh your plus machine 
Um, did you get it specifically uh, for doing a business or was it for yeah. personal quilting? It was for both. I wanted to do my own quilts, but I also wanted to start a business with it. So you you had an idea then that there would be enough business that there's that you would find some quilts to do. How did you know there was enough business? Was it because of how long it took your long armor to get you a quilt back? Or what was your indication that that there would be enough? Um, my friend kept pretty busy doing them and she wasn't doing it as a business. Every time anybody found out she had a long arm, they'd ask her to quilt for them. And I talked to a couple of shop owners that encouraged me and thought there was enough business, but really I didn't know for sure. So, but I also wasn't going into it trying to support my family or anything, just to make some money and, you know, on the side and get my quilts done. So did you find that there was uh, a good bit of uh, business out there? Or? Yeah, there was. Yeah, I started quilting for friends first. And then just through word of mouth, got as many, as many customers as I wanted. And it's kind of stayed that way. I've done it part time. I haven't worked full time since I've been doing it. But I've always had enough quilts to keep me as busy as I wanted to be. Did you do anything in particular, any actions that you can look back at, which were really helpful to you for finding those customers? Um, mostly it was just through my friends and word of mouth. I did put an ad in a magazine right after I started and I got probably two or three customers from that. And, but the rest of it's just really been word of mouth. For, from about 2010 to 2014, I also had an online quilt shop and I would, I was a vendor at different quilt shows. So I would hang quilts I had quilted and have my business card and my brochure. And I got some customers that way too. Mm -hmm. Like you said, all the customers you want. Yep. Enough to keep me plenty busy. <laughs> have, well... I was about to go off script. I might do it anyway. Okay. Have you ever fired a customer? No, I have not. Ah, I, I think I'm going to start asking that question on it. That's because <laughs> some people have, and they've got a great story. Too. It'll make the show a little bit more salacious. Yeah, I don't know. Definitely customers I enjoy more than others, but I never, never had to fire one. That's and, nice. Yeah. And there's different skill levels. Some of the piecers do an amazing job and some of them are just learning and so I just I like to work with all levels well I wanted to ask you uh Beth uh when you when you first uh got your gamel um I know a lot of the people watching would be interested uh how did you how did you pay for that machine so I actually have two. In 2016, I bought a Statler. I used Statler. So for my first one, when I bought the Optimum, we just used savings and paid for it. When I decided to get the Statler, we um, borrowed against our 401k and then just repaid that. It took us about a year to pay it off. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good way to go. A lot of people like to do that. Um, mm -hmm. There's some paperwork involved, but it's kind of yeah. neat because you're paying the interest back to yourself. Right. You never, know if you're gonna, you never know if you're going to make anything in the stock market or wherever else the 401k money is. But if you're paying interest to yourself, you, it's a pretty surefire deal. Right. Yeah, we liked that aspect of it. Yeah. Uh, about how many hours a week do you spend doing quilts for other people these days? probably about 15 to 20 hours a week and it has fluctuated a lot over the years when I first got my first machine I still had kids at home and they were high school age and I just wanted to be able to be home with them but they weren't home much so I quilted quite a bit then and then I started the online quilt shop and worked a lot doing of hours doing both the quilting and selling fabric 
and then we started getting grandbabies and I started watching grandkids and so I kind of cut back a little bit so it's fluctuated a lot there's times I've probably been close to 40 hours a week and right now it's about 15 to 20. So you feel like you have um flexibility in your time with this yeah you can put what you want into it mm -hmm. that's that's been awesome um do you do and i'm i think i might have guessed the answer to this question but the question is uh do you do custom quilting in addition to edge to edge and i'm guessing with two machines you probably do both huh I do. I got the Statler to do edge to edge on it. And I still do all of the custom I do hand guided on the Optimum Plus. Mm -hmm. And I what don't do, do a you... lot of custom, but I do some. Most of my business is edge to edge. And that was, yeah, I was going to ask, what, what would you say the ratio between uh, edge to edge and custom that you do would be? I probably do 90, 95% edge to edge. And just a few custom year. Yeah, I was thinking it'd probably have to be about 10 to 1 just because you can get 10 or 15 quilts off the Statler in the length of time you have right. one on the plus. Yeah, so Definitely. much more done. Yeah. 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 And I'll just start up the Statler and then I can work on the custom ones while it's going. Mm -hmm. So, how have you structured your rates and how? Well, I've got a follow-up to that too, but I'll get to that in a minute. But how do you help people uh, determine whether this one's going to be custom or if this one's going to be edge-to-edge? But let's start with the rates first. So I charge two cents an inch for edge-to-edge, -edge, and I start at about five cents an inch on custom. Uh-huh. And how often are people undecided about what they want, and you have to kind of help them decide? Um, most of my customers just do the edge to edge, both because of the amount of time. I mean, if I do a custom quilt, I'm going to have it for a while. And um, so sometimes it's the time, sometimes it's the finances. Uh -huh. So a lot of them are lean towards the edge to edge. A lot of them are for their grandchildren and they won't appreciate custom anyway. Right, right. <laughs> So um, on, say, an average uh, queen-size quilt, what, what would you say the average uh, cost would be for a queen-size quilt? Probably for one that's like, you know, everybody's definition of queen-size varies. For True. one that's about 90 by 100, it would probably be about 160, 170 for that. Most of the quilts I do, though, aren't that large. Most of them are twin-size or lap. And uh, so can you tell us a little bit, um, and this is a, an important question for somebody who's thinking about maybe doing the same thing as you, they want to know uh, what is a bad year's income going to look like and what would a good year's income look like? You know, just because of my time restrictions, how much time I have spent on it, it has varied a lot. So I don't know, it's just, it's kind of hard to put a number on that uh -huh. um just because like i said there are years that i've worked 40 hours a week the last 10 years or so i've been watching grandkids full-time and quilting in the evenings so it's been probably right around ten thousand a year for the last 10 years doing that about how many quilts a year would you say you do between 100 what's that between 100 and 150 each year. Yeah. I was having a conversation with somebody not very long ago, and it kind of a, came up in the conversation, something I'd never thought of before, because uh, I've been in a lot of different people's homes over the years, and uh, it's, it's interesting, but if you're in one person's house and they work an eight-to-five job, average middle-class people, and then you're in another person's house that would be basically the same and you're visiting, you're having dinner or whatever. But the difference with this, with these folks is the, the woman's been running a quilting business for 10 years for $10,000 a year. 
and that's a hundred thousand dollars and uh over one year it doesn't make that much difference and over three years it doesn't make that much difference but when you ask people about the difference that the money has made in their life it, it's not so much over the span of one year but as the years stack up you look at the the amount of the kind of retirement you can build for yourself for example and it's mm -hmm. there's a difference it's amazing how powerful it is to work <laughs> well and it knows because i can set my hours and work when i want to and as much or as little as i want to for the most part where if you have an employer they they don't like it if you just say you just you know don't want to work for two weeks because you've got a lot of family stuff going on <laughs> <laughs> yeah that well, that doesn't go over too well it doesn't <laughs> Uh, do you, uh, do you provide or sell things, uh, like batting, um, and backing fabrics and with the online quilt shop, you probably have quite a few other things that you had at least at one time sold. Yeah. At, for that four year period, I sold fabric. Now all I sell is batting. I provide the batting if they want to purchase it from me. I have a couple of different kinds they can choose from. Um, what was the hardest part of growing your business? And you'll have to separate out maybe the online quilt shop because that would have had its own challenges. But for the long mm -hmm. arm, did you encounter any challenges there at the beginning when you first started? Um, I think that getting customers is always a challenge, finding quilts. I was able to, I didn't feel like it was too much of a struggle. They started coming in pretty quickly. I think for me, it's just the wife, the work-life balance, trying to you know, not work too much and not work too little. <laughs> so. Do you know uh, a change in technology that might make it easier today than it was when you started, when you started out? I think the availability of classes online is, is awesome. When I first started out, if I wanted training, I had to go to a show that offered it or to the dealer. And the dealer is about five hours away. Or, you know, it's just the training and education is a lot more available now than it was then. And I also feel like a lot of the edge-to-edge -edge designs are just better. I think that the pattern designers have gotten better over the last few years even I can tell the difference in like how well they're digitized that a lot of them are easier to set up and line up and do you think the um I mean you mentioned the education and uh classes and things that are available um would you how how great of a value would you say the, that type of knowledge is to somebody who would be kind of at the beginning part of this? I think it's really good because you can go back and rewatch it. When I attended a class, sometimes I just felt like it's just overload. You can only absorb so much. You put so like much in I, and it leaks out. Yeah. When I first got my Statler, I the dealer would come to our area a few times a year. And I think I took the new owner training three or four times and each time I went home with more things to try and more things to practice and so I think being able to watch it online and go back and rewatch it or when you encounter a problem you can just watch the video you're like oh I remember seeing that in that video I watched and you can go back and and watch it again yeah and I, I've seen that uh, working in tech support I've seen uh a real advantage of that, like the new owner training classes that are available on, on the gamble.com and the people having knowledge really is power with, uh, with this quilting business. The more knowledge you have, the more, uh, you can approach with confidence, you know, uh, getting, doing these quilts and things like that. So, so I agree, Beth, exactly with what you're saying that it, it makes such a difference when people, uh, have the knowledge so did you have anybody in particular that stands out as having been an encourager or a cheerleader for you as you've been doing this business definitely my husband he helped 
finance the machines and encourage me to do it. And um, also my friends that trusted me with their quilts when I'd only had my machine a few months. <laughs> They're like, oh, you'll do fine. <laughs> and the other things in the area I used to live in, there was a group of long arm quilters that would get together once a month. And that group was very encouraging. It was kind of a show and tell, or if you had questions, you could ask. And so the more experienced long arm quilters were always happy to share their experience and give advice and websites to look at. And that was, that was a really good benefit when I first started. That's awesome. And what, what kind of um, impact would you say the, uh, you know, the, the money and the time, this, this, the freedom for uh, your schedule that this allows you, what, what kind of impact would you say that has had on your life? Tell us a little bit about that. I think it's been really good. I like to be busy and feel like I'm contributing and doing stuff. So once my kids were all in school, I volunteered at their school a lot when they were little, but you know, high schoolers don't really want mom to come and volunteer in the classroom. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> so it was just good. If I hadn't done the quilting, I probably would have got at least a part-time job, but it was nice to have it at home so that as the kids were coming and going, I knew what they were doing and I could, you know, take you know, just walk out and go and hang out with the kids for a while. And so I really liked that flexibility. And then as grandchildren came, the same thing, I was able to stay home and help care for grandchildren for almost 10 years. And, and that was really nice that I had that flexibility and was able to do that. Beth, I don't know why I have a tear at the corner of my eye, but I, I have to say this, that <laughs> your kids will never forget that mom was there at home. Yeah. Those times they'll never forget that. So. I was, that's what I wanted to do. I just wanted to be able to be there and, you know, just be available to them. It was funny when I got my Statler one day, I had started it up and I walked into the other room and said something to my boys and they just like jumped and they're startled. Like, mom, when the quilt machine's going, you're supposed to be in there. <laughs> guided so long I guess they knew as long as they could hear the machine they could I wasn't coming <laughs> off <laughs> the machine's running we can get away with something yeah <laughs> nice. so uh can you think of anything or, or what was something that you wish someone would have told you uh before you or when you were first starting something that somebody should have told you and um, you know the listening to the other podcasts, I've heard that question. And I thought, you know, I think for me, it would be, don't be too hard on yourself. I remember right after I got my machine and I was doing hand guided and I just felt like it did not look good. And, you know, I had wobbles and my feathers weren't all even, and you could see my backtracking sometimes. And I went to a quilt show, just a local quilt show and saw, was looking at the quilting on those quilts from some quilters that I really respected and thought were amazing quilters and looking up close, they had wobbles and you could see their backtracking sometimes. So I think just realize nobody's perfect and just be kind of easy on yourself and get all the training and education that you can. Even after you know, 16 years of doing this, I'll watch like this podcast or something else. I'm like, oh, that's a really good idea. I'm going to try that. So I think the education never ends. I think that it's just important to keep doing that, but to also be kind to yourself. <laughs> and I think I think that uh, you touched on a principle that probably goes beyond uh, just quilting. Sometimes we are our own worst critic, and mm -hmm. to the point that we we can discourage our own selves by being too critical of ourselves. And uh, right. so I'm, I'm really glad you brought that up because that, that definitely applies to the, the quilting here, but it, it also applies to many other areas of life. I, right. uh, I, I feel like one of the worst things that people can deal with in their life is fear. 
and mm -hmm. fear is is common and i don't know everything that is that's behind it but i i've heard more than once in different places that uh that courage is not the absence of fear um, when people are courageous it's not that they're not fearful they're fearful because they're just like everybody else but they just kind of go forward anyway and mm -hmm. uh and i think i think that that's something that i really enjoy with these interviews that we do with people on this podcast is it it uh just encourages me that the world is full of courageous people that's true yeah people that have fear and um the the most successful people in in my life that i've seen the most successful people are people who have taken risks and take risks in their life in general mm -hmm. oh, i think good. another thing that would be nice you know when you're just getting started out to would be to if you're considering getting a long arm and starting to quilt for people i think you need to like be real with who you are you're alone a lot of the time when you're quilting and do you have a personality that can handle that I do. I'm happy just me and my quilt machine all day. I'm, I'm happy, but some people need more, more people time than that. And, you know, it's your health up to it. You you're on your feet a lot when you're quilting, even if it's the Statler, you're still on your feet a lot. So I would just say, you know, look at that and don't expect to get rich fast. It's a lot of work and it grows slow because so much of your business does come through word of mouth that just be patient with that and it will grow. And I think that the, the piecers, the ladies that make the quilts, find someone, find a long arm quilter that their per personalities and styles match. So I think there's always room for more quilters. You're gonna find your niche in the market of people who enjoy being with you, who trust you, who like your style, even if it's edge to edge, you know, I have a certain density that I usually do my edge to edge quilting and someone else might do it larger or smaller. So I think you just kind of build up your business that way. Well, Beth Godridge, uh, thank you so much for sharing. And uh, uh, people that are watching this, that, that last little snippet that Beth was saying, I would encourage you to go back and listen to that again, because there's there's some words of wisdom that I know are tempered by experience in there. And uh, thank you so much. Beth, I want you to stay with us. And uh, we're, we're going to move over and we're going to visit a little bit with Lisa Teichman. And uh, Beth, if you, if you, uh, in the course of the conversation, you feel like you have something you want to interject into the conversation, you, you feel free to, but right now we're going to move over to Lisa Teichman. Lisa, we're so glad to have you with us. And I'm uh, glad to be here. Uh, so why don't you tell us where you are located? Where is, where's home for you? Currently home is Lancaster, Pennsylvania. I bet it's cold there. A little bit today, but I used to live in New England, so it's it's not as bad as it was there. And how long have you been uh, doing this long arming thing? I bought my machine in 2001, so going into my 23rd year. You're not new at this. So no. what, made, what made you decide to start long arm quilting? I actually wanted to open a quilt shop in the little town in Maine that we lived in, and <clears throat> my husband and I went to the SCORE workshops and we got to class number three, which was all about inventory. And I realized I would have to take out like a quarter of a million dollar loan in order to do that. And I, my husband was like, oh no, no, you're not doing that. <laughs> oh, and wow. I happened to have a quilt magazine with me and I opened it up and there was a Gamel ad there. And I was like, oh, maybe I can do that. And then I did my research. Huh. Did you say you were up in Maine? Yes. Okay. And and was that a rural area or city? Um, it was about 30 miles north west of Portland. So it was rural, but it wasn't as rural as some parts of Maine are. Right. We okay. had a Taco Bell, so you know. <laughs> 
Well, that's the determinant of, put, of whether it's truly rural. Do you have a Taco, Taco Bell's in pretty rural places? But uh, um, so uh, when you got your machine uh, from the very beginning, you were thinking of running a business because for those who don't know, a score score workshop that's the service core of retired executives. There's a tremendous amount of resources available for free to anyone. Uh, I spent time with them years ago and they, they were very helpful to me. Uh, anybody who wants to start a business, you should look them up. And uh, there's a lot of good people who have a lot of experience, uh, maybe not quilting experience, uh, but they also have uh, some free materials you could download off their website, like uh, Excel spreadsheets and stuff. Yet most of it goes way, way beyond the quilting business. I don't think it has a lot of applicability, mostly to a long arm quilting business, but it's a fantastic group of, of people who are donating their time to help younger people. Yeah. They helped me um, do a business plan and the whole nine yards. So that I was prepared. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So uh, you were thinking of, of a business when you got your machine, um, the, you saw the, the Gamel ad, but did you need to shop around and look at all the different ones? How did you decide on the Gamel? I was really lucky. Um, I somehow ran into Janet Lee Santizanio and she, it wasn't quite MQX yet, but it was like, the very, very, very beginning of MQX. And she would have all these people who were long armors or who wanted to be long armors. And we met in this cute little inn in New Hampshire. And there was a, Ed Coles had a gamble there. And I met a woman that had an APQS. And at that time, those were basically the big names in machines. And the lady that had the APQS lived in Portland and she invited me to come and try hers out. And I tried out the gamble at, the uh, quilt retreat and Ed being Ed was like, oh, you're a natural. And I afterwards, I'm like, yeah, he tells that to everybody. <laughs> but I, the feel of the gamble was better for me. It was a better fit for me. And Ed was such a wonderful person. I was like, I have to go with the gamble. Uh -huh. And did at the time, did you start with a hand guided machine? Yes. Yep. No stitch what regular or nothing. I was going to ask that at that point, it probably would have been just the speed dial on the front. Yep. 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 So you had to be your own stitch regulator. Oh yeah. That was fun. Do you have the same machine today or have you upgraded it or? I have the same machine. I added the stitch regulator in 2006. Uh-huh. Okay. Yep. And so how did you know there was going to be enough long arm business in your area? Did you do research? I did. Um, at the time, I was on the board of the Maine State Guild. So I would run into a lot of people and I had a lot of people tell me, oh, so-and-so is a quilter, so-and-so is a quilter. And there was, in my area, there was no other machine quilters, probably within a 20-mile radius. And I was like, okay, I can... And I knew we had active quilt guilds, so I knew that there was potential customers. So did you, uh, was it primarily word of mouth? Did you do any advertising? I did a little bit of advertising, like I advertised in the guild newsletters and stuff like that, but it was mostly word of mouth and I would bring my quilts for show and tell at the quilt guilds. Show and tell is actually pretty cool. It is because someone will always yell out who quilted it. <laughs> yep. Yep. A lot, I think a lot of times people do not realize what the investment of an hour and a half in an evening might bring you just by going to Guild and uh, and showing a quilt or two. You know, I, it, the overwhelming majority of, of uh, in doing this show, the people that we talk to, the the overwhelming uh, way of, you know, spreading the word is uh, of their business is word of mouth. And to me, it also, it speaks uh, to the individual's ability to, uh, you know, just kind of engage people and, uh, you know, being at the guild or whatnot. I think, 
I think just the ability to uh, just kind of talk to people, show them what you've got, uh, it carries a lot of weight uh, too. So every business is a people business. I don't care yeah. if you're a hairdresser or a waitress or an accountant or a lawyer or I think surgeons, though, they don't have to be people people. But just about every business is a people business. And the way you handle people is really important. Uh, people yeah. don't like to deal with a phony or a braggy type person, you know, somebody who's full of themselves or whatever. They want somebody they like, somebody they Well, want. and I tend to be introverted for the most part. But when I talk about quilting, I'm passionate about it. So then uh, it all goes out the window. <laughs> most, most introverts are situationally introverted. Yeah. And for that, that very reason, I think it's, uh, it's probably important for, it, it carries a lot of weight if, if this quilting and creating is something that you love. All right. Uh, curious to know if you've created any quilts that stand out to you, maybe a quilt for a certain cause or for a certain person that stands out in your mind as most meaningful to you. There was one of my ladies had a son that passed away and she was making memory quilts for each member of the family. And so she would make a quilt and then we, and it would have fabric in it that represented things that that person liked to do with her son. And so then we would find a quilting design that would go along with that. Like one of them was a, that I remember was a tractor. One was, um, courses he did roping with his sister and just different things and it was just very you know, very special to be able to be a part of that as she worked through her that's how she worked through her grief was making those quilts and just being able to be a part of that was was really meaningful wow that's awesome that's awesome wow. yeah, i think yeah. she made about six or seven of them she made quite a few yeah. Wow. It, it's interesting. You kind of processed it with her, helped her. Yeah. yeah a lot. Uh, let's see. Well, we took care of, we took care of that. Uh, Sorry about that. We, yeah. We're <laughs> flexible. We're here. supposed to check that little <laughs> Q and A box, but we don't always do it. Uh, especially because I get really interested in the conversation we're having and I don't think about the, the aspect that I'm supposed to do my job as a host. So, uh, um, so for Lisa, um, back to the task at hand, um, when you uh, started quilting, uh, pretty seriously, it sounded like, I mean, you took a very structured uh, kind of logical approach to starting your business. Uh, were you also working elsewhere at that time or did you just go all in on long arm quilting? I was working at a little car dealership one day a week and then I had another part-time job and it got to the point where it was like okay I don't need these part-time jobs anymore so I just did away with them sure and how long have you been doing this exclusively since well probably Almost. since 2003 okay yeah your business took right off didn't it yeah yeah. Uh, so how many uh, hours do you spend in a week now doing uh, quilting? Now it's a lot less. Um, this is my third move with my machine. <laughs> so much fun. Um, but I found in Pennsylvania, it's really saturated with long arm quilters and there doesn't seem as seem to be as many customers as there were in New Hampshire and Maine. I do a lot of mail order from my customers in New Hampshire and Maine, but around here. So I probably, uh, I don't want to say more than 10 to 12 hours a week. Uh -huh. And so, I do have a part-time job here now. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, you also can kind of probably answer that question of what, what does a good year look like? Cause you had good years back in Maine. Yeah. What does a bad year look like income wise on, on this? Oof. I wish I kept better track of that. 
Well, maybe even just numbers of quilts. Sometimes people can say how many quilts. Oh, well, I did 50 quilts this year and 150 that year. I think um, between the year that COVID hit and now has probably been my least years and probably about 50 quilts. In New Hampshire, I probably did, and Maine, I probably did between 150 and 200. Uh -huh. Well, it's it's a word of mouth and connections kind of thing. And when you move to a new neighborhood, you don't have all those same connections that you used to have. Yeah, oh, definitely. And around here, the the quilters are a pretty tight-knit group, and it's hard to kind of bust into them. Yes. I've talked they have to, their quilters uh, that they like, and they use their quilters that they like. I've talked to you mentioned that you do you mail you do some mailing uh, with like places where you you were before, and I've talked with some people on here who uh, that's a, a segment of their business is uh, is they they branched out in, into mailing. Uh, what is that uh, to to you? Is it just the people pre just previous customers? Or do you have additional people that you've uh, gotten customers with mailing? I've had people just out of the blue send me an email because they found my website and uh, they will. I was quilting for a woman in, I want to say Illinois for a while. And she, I don't know how she found me, but she found me and she wanted all these art quilts done. And her and I, I quilted for her for probably three or four years. And then she disappeared. I don't know what happened to her. And you know, you mentioned your website. Um, and I know you, you've got a website. Uh, Beth has a Facebook uh, page. Um, what uh, has the website been a big benefit, would you say, or, you know, to the oh, people yeah. that are watching this? I, I think so. Um, I've had a website from the very beginning, which. And is it hard to do? The first one I did myself. I think I did okay. And then my son is actually a graphic designer and web designer. So he takes great joy in building my website and taking care of it for me. And I do pay him. That's nice. Nice that you don't have to do it. I know. And he does a fantastic job. Yeah, I went and visited it. Uh, yeah. we'll, uh, I'll make sure to ask Miriam if she can post the, in case anybody wants to go see your website for themselves. Uh, maybe borrow an idea off of it if they see something they really love. Uh, I'll ask her to post a link to that in the show notes. Um, the uh, uh, let's see. So I got off track a little bit there. How uh, how have you structured your rates? And also on edge to edge versus custom, do you do primarily one or the other, or a blend of both? Probably 80% edge to edge and 20% custom. I love doing custom, but it doesn't pay as well as edge to edge. Edge to edge, you can knock them out and get paid. Right. The dollar per hour ratio is different, isn't it? Yeah. Even though you charge more for a custom, it takes a long time. Exactly. Yep. So uh, what's your basic edge to edge rate there in Pennsylvania? I start at uh, 1.66 cents per inch and go up depending on the density of the uh, design. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, do you ever have people who are waffling back and forth between custom versus edge to edge? How do you help them decide? Not, they don't do that often. Usually when they come in, they, they already know what they want. Um, I have had, I had one woman come in and she wanted custom, but her quilt was um, a disappearing nine patch. And I was like, you're going to pay all this money for custom and no one's going to be able to see it <laughs> unless I use like a bright, bright thread. And I wouldn't recommend that. And I talked her into a really nice pantograph and she was happy with it, but she, it, it was, I had to talk her into it. Yeah. And then I've had people that want, they don't like pantographs, but they don't want to pay for custom. And those are, you were talking about firing a customer. That was one of the customers I fired. Yeah. 
Yeah, I can I can understand that. Uh the uh sometimes people don't realize just how much time difference it is between a pantograph and custom. It's tremendous. So this tell us a little bit about that firing. Uh yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, they were wanting something. Uh, yeah, tell us what happened there. Well, the first quilt she brought me, I had first met her and she found my website and that was in Maine. And she she brought me this quilt and it was, wasn't was pieced very well. There was a time where I swear I was the clearinghouse for poorly pieced quilts and they've gotten much better. <laughs> but it it wasn't well pieced. Like there was applique that wasn't sewn down all the way. And it was, she didn't want to pay. She didn't want to pay for custom, but she didn't want a pantograph. So we compromised and the whole time, like she would correct my math. And the first time she came, she came with her husband and a friend and her friend's husband. <laughs> I'm like, I don't have time for this. They wanted a tour of the studio, the whole nine yards. So I knew she was going to be high maintenance to start with, but she uh, she entered that quilt in a in a county fair or something and won a ribbon and was very excited. And about six months later, she called me and said she wanted a quilt done. And it was like the beginning of May and she wanted it done by the end of May. And I was like, I can't do that. And she was, oh, yes, you can. And I'm like, no, I really can't. Oh, I know you can. If you just, you could do this. And she kept trying to talk me into this. And I was like, no, I can't. And at the end, I finally got to the point and I was like, I don't think we're a good match. I think you should probably look for a new quilter. And she was a little insulted, but never heard from her again. Good job. That's all I have to say. Good job. I was shaking like a leaf. <laughs> we We get to choose what people we have in our life. Yep. Good yeah, job. she wasn't respecting my boundaries, so we had to get rid of her. We are getting all kind of life lessons in this in this session. This is really good. Life is full of lessons. Yes, it is. <laughs> so, uh, do you uh, do you charge uh, a minimum or a loading fee or charge per bobbin, or do you just stick with stick with the per square inch? I do per square inch if it's. Um... If I look on my calculations and it's going to be like for a baby quilt, it's usually really little and I'm not going to quilt a baby quilt for 25 bucks. So I have a $50 minimum. Gotcha. Gotcha. Average price of a queen size quilt. Well, like Beth said, everyone's idea of a queen size is different. That's people will say, you know, how much for a queen size? And I'll be, I'll tell them what are the measurements? Cause then I can tell you how much I'll charge you. Um, yeah. Probably 150 and up depending on what's involved. Yeah. yeah. Uh, let's see. So what was the hardest part for you of growing your business? And I think I'm going to ask, uh, with regard to Maine, because as you've moved, well, I'll ask it with regard to Maine first. What was the hardest part of growing it there? Maine wasn't as hard, I don't think, as like down here. Um, probably more so because I'm introverted and I didn't have a lot of confidence because I was beginning. And, you know, there's a lot of stress when someone gives you something that they have spent months making and spent lots of money on the fabric and they're giving it to you and you don't want to muck it up so it the stress and the not being confident in myself to go out and talk to people and talk them into using me uh -huh. how how about i don't know if you can answer the same question for pennsylvania because you you're kind of still up against some things. Do you feel like the the challenge that you're up against there is not being connected to enough of the quilters? Or what do you think that that is? Because that's a challenge you're up against right now. Yeah, it is. Um, I think a lot of it is, well, I would say 90% of the quilt shops have machine quilting businesses built into them. So I, in Maine and New Hampshire, I would leave my cards at quilt shops and they would hand out my card here. If they have a 
if they have a business in their business, they're not going to hand out my card. <laughs> right. Well, I will say they would do it potentially for custom if they don't offer custom. They will refer that out to somebody. Yeah. Um, I joined three guilds since I've moved here. One of them just there they they have their preferred quilters. So I'm there's no way anyone's gonna choose me to quilt their stuff for them. Um, I did find the Philly Modern Quilt Guild is a fantastic group of women, and I've already quilted for a couple of them. So I have potential there. That's awesome. That's yeah. Awesome. Now, how long have you been in Pennsylvania? Uh, it'll, five years. So can you identify any of the technological changes that have happened over all these years uh, that really... Uh, have made things easier from you than when you started. Some people have said things like, well, you know, it's easier for me to find patterns online now than before, or like Beth had mentioned, uh, video education. Is there anything that stands out to you? Well, definitely social media. Cause when I started, there really wasn't any. <laughs> so having a Facebook presence an Instagram presence now a threads presence, um, having my own website, uh, being able to contact customers easily with email. Um, yeah, all of that works really well for me. I'm, I'm very much had, into social media. Yeah, not everybody had email back in the day. I mean, these days you can, uh, well, I don't know about on the hand guiding quilting, but with the computerized you can email people a picture of what their quilt's going to look with the stitching on top of it. And, uh, and then they can give you a thumbs up, you know? Yeah. And back then I had dial up. I could barely send a picture. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, I remember the dial up days. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So in, in all of this, uh, who has been your uh, biggest uh, cheerleader or the, the person who supported you the most through this? Well, definitely be my husband. Um, because other like I rely on his or relied on his income. So that was it was easy enough to start a business knowing I wasn't gonna starve. Uh -huh. Which part of that here, um, he passed away in 2016. So now I'm kind of on my own. So I have to have a part-time job because I can't survive on the quilting income. And I know there are people out there that make bank quilting and i'm sure they're more aggressive about it they're more i i don't know i don't want to say i'm lazy but i'm kind of like it's a nice job <laughs> uh so uh what's something that you wish somebody would have told you when you first started and i think it's an interesting question because you you did a lot of research and you talked to a lot of people before you did this yeah but i'm sure once you got into it you there's some things that you wish somebody would have told you i think a lot of it would have been about the stress of quilting someone else's quilt and the fear of showing it to because like when you a customer comes and picks it up and you have it all spread out and the fear that they're going to look at it and go, Oh my God, what did you do? <laughs> and come on, I mean, that doesn't happen. <laughs> it's happened twice to me. Twice. Okay. And look how much it scarred her, you know, <laughs> twice she remembers. I and can all tell those she, she's really been thousands of up, quilts, those thousands of quilts that people, I can see the PTSD. Well, but that's how we are. We're more fearful. We want to avoid the the pain more than anything. Yeah. And think of all those people that walked in and they went, it's beautiful. Exactly. Well, you like that said too, people. you have all these self-doubts, like you have wobbles and then you see the really good quilters. They have wobbles too. And your customers aren't going to bring you the quilts if they could do it themselves. They're giving it to you because they can't do it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, I, I would like to take a moment here and just point out that for, whether a person has a, a quilting, I'm going to do a commercial, okay? I'm going to do a commercial for uh, for the Quilting with Confidence Tour. Uh, 
So one of the things that we started for the very first time, it had never been done in the history of the world. In 2019, we did a Quilting with Confidence tour that hit 52 cities, I think, and more than one continent, I think three continents. And we took... Uh, we took machines and teachers and we went all around to different cities around the country mostly and we uh, we brought the the education close to the people and it started out a little bit slow in 2019 and then by the time the tour kept rolling and the word spread among Facebook and and all this stuff because just like your quilting business it's a word of mouth thing and pretty soon, uh, all those events were jammed and we had no more availability to add more people. And then, of course, we had a pandemic and we did a Quilting with Confidence online for people. And then uh, last year, uh, 2023, uh, we did um, a Quilting with Confidence that was longer events. So instead of two days of training, they were four days. And that allowed us to offer people kind of a, a, a beginning uh, leg versus for people that wanted more advanced education. And we we expanded, we use a lot of technology, so multiple screens and multiple teachers. And, uh, you know, we, we learned a lot just last year. So anyway, this year, uh, we are doubling the number of tour stops from last year, approximately. It's going to be the schedule's going to be released very soon. I think it's just a day or two, day or two away at this point. We've got to get all the all the contracts signed with all the 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 venues where we're going, and uh, this year there will be uh, so much stuff that is cool from all the things we've learned from twenty nineteen and from twenty twenty three, but. Um, I'm I'm super excited that there's also going to be a free class available. Obviously, most of the people that come will sign up for two days and they'll take all the classes and everything. But there's also going to be a free class and it's going to cover a lot of really cool stuff for people. And we just, I mean, our goal is to help people become confident quilters because the work that you do, like with what Beth was talking about, that the lady that was processing the loss of her son through the quilts and the different people that we've talked to that do quilting for all the different charities, both the big organizations and just people in their own hometown. And um, the change that quilters create in the world is real. And if we can help that, um, so even for people that have a budget of zero, to learn more about their machine, uh, we're offering that free class. Um, and I think if uh, if somebody wants to quilt, whether they've got one of our machines or something else, they ought to come to that. So if, um, I don't know what the best way is for people to, I'm kind of peripherally involved in it to some degree, but I'm excited about it. I'm sure we have it on the website. Um, yeah, I think it's going to be on the website. Uh, there's probably information about it on the Facebook page also. Mm -hmm. I'm probably kind of the least qualified person to talk about this year's uh, Quilting with Confidence, but I was at about half the tour stops in 2019. And uh, it is, it's, I mean, people to this day, when I'll talk to them, they'll, they'll, they'll say that that was a, a pivotal moment in their quilting was to, spend a couple of days um, pouring and investing into their own um, skills and abilities and making connections with other quilters. So I'm sorry for going on a monologue, but I'm really excited about it. So, um, so Lisa, there are more questions in the Q and a thing, just saying, Oh, I bet there are. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what? Okay. So we got a question from Debbie. Uh, she has it for both of you, uh, wondering what is your turnaround time for getting a quilt back to a customer? Right now, my turnaround time is about two weeks, one to two weeks. It's pretty, pretty quick right now. Mine's about three to six weeks, depending on what they need done. Mm -hmm. And, uh, 
Dwayne is asking, uh, do you have a formula for choosing uh, an edge-to-edge -edge pattern? I don't know that it's a formula, but I have a knack for it, if that makes sense. Um, I, I majored in art in college and just graphic design, and I don't know, I just find patterns that fit. I don't, I usually, I don't know that there is a formula. Yeah, I usually try to get an idea from like what the fabric in the quilt looks like or the style, the piecing of the quilt. And maybe take, like if it's got paisleys in the fabric, maybe I'll use a paisley quilt design or flowers or something like that. Excellent. And we have gotten uh, information <laughs> we, we here. Got corrected in the chat, or I did. <laughs> it was announced today, Quilting with Confidence, on Facebook and on Gamble.com. Yeah. Locations and dates are listed. Yes. So apparently I, I'm just out of the We are so far behind. We don't. Yeah. <laughs> so if people want to find out, uh, just go to gamble.com and, and look there and the locations are there. It's, uh, it's well, I'll have to go take a look because uh, some of the details I'm weeks behind on. So it, I'm excited about it. It, it, it. it will change hundreds, well, maybe thousands of people's lives. Um, That's true. Yep. So, uh, Lisa, um, what what advice would you give to somebody who who wants to start a business? I mean, you you did it years ago in Maine, and it it took off, having a little harder time in Pennsylvania, but you're getting quilts. Um, what advice would you give to somebody who wanted to start quilting? Definitely do your homework. Um, find out how many. It's e now it's easy because you have the web. You just Google everything and find out how many quilters there are in your area, what they're charging, what their turnaround time is. And, you know, if you just want it, well, if you're doing it for a business, like if there are, if your area is saturated, it may not be a great idea. And, you know, it's sometimes it's hard to hear that, but it would make more sense to not do it than spend all that money and then not have any customers unless you I've can afford to do that. I find that most people don't do research. And when I got to know the, the, the score organization, which we talked about earlier, that was, uh, I was in a phase of doing business research myself and that's how I came across them. And I think, uh, I think what you said is well-spoken and sometimes people might have a person in their life uh, who is going to be their cheerleader. I mean, their husband, he's going to be their cheerleader but at the moment, he's kind of a doubting Thomas because he doesn't know enough about quilting and he doesn't, he hasn't seen that you've done the research. And I do believe that one of the simplest things that people could do if they wanted to, most of the time they don't, but you could pick up the phone and call the long arm quilters that you know and say, hey, Jill, so for an edge to edge quilt, like how long am I going to have to wait to get it back? Are we talking three months or what? You know, and you could call the long arm quilters that you know and ask them how long it would take to get a quilt back. And uh, if they're not saying three to five days, then because, I mean, on a Statler, you can do a couple of quilts in a day. So if they're if they're putting you off by two or three weeks, they're, they got, they've got a backlog of quilts to do. So I think, I think your point about that is very, very well taken. Um, Bobby, I've been talking too much. You have been talking a little bit too much. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No, uh, I, I have nothing else to add. All right. And uh, I, I just really appreciate uh, both Beth and, and Lisa joining us today. You guys uh, really have been in, inspirational and the information that you've uh, given to the people watching this is, is very valuable. It's going to help people. Yep. I do appreciate it. And I do want to put a little plug at the end. Uh, if you uh, enjoyed listening, or maybe this is the first one you've listened to uh, and you're new to the Quilting with not Quilting with Confidence podcast, but it's the uh, the Quilting Business Success podcast. Um, 
probably the 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 easiest technological way to watch it is to just go onto YouTube and look up quilting business success. Uh, if you uh, are so inclined to figure out how podcasts work, it's pretty cool because when you subscribe to it, it'll automatically fetch the new episodes as soon as they become available. But on there, it's just the audio. It's not the video. So yes. I love listening to podcasts in the car whenever I have a long drive. I'll just start it up and get to listen to my favorite stuff instead of the radio. So, uh, Real quick before we go, uh, anybody would like to reach out to you guys. Beth, you have a Facebook page. Is that right? I do. It's the Quilting Bug. The Quilting Bug. Okay, excellent. And Lisa, what about uh, you have a website i have everything you have everything <laughs> yeah garden gate quilting garden gate quilting okay dot com is the website but if you do garden gate quilting it will come up fantastic well thank you both so much for yes. being with us thank today you so thank you you've, thank you've you. helped a lot of people you guys are rock stars no <laughs> really all right awesome thank you so much We'll talk to you later. Thank you for joining us today on Quilting Business Success. We hope you've been inspired by these stories of quilters just like you who have turned their dreams into reality. If you enjoyed today's show, don't forget to subscribe so that you don't miss any episodes. One of the best things you can do to support us is to write a glowing review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever platform you're using to listen to the show. Those reviews help bring us up in the algorithm so that more quilters are exposed to our show. What would you like to change in your life, and what steps can you take today to bring you closer to the life that you want?